Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, which is a podcast of Perimeter Church. I'm Jeff Norris, the senior pastor at Perimeter, and I'm joined today again by Caleb Click and Bob Cargo, who are both members of our teaching team here at the church. And uh, we have a couple of podcasts that we do uh, out of Perimeter. The first one that you have been hearing a little bit more of lately is what we call Thinking Biblically. And uh, that's a podcast that we do uh, not necessarily as it's not going to be consistent in that uh, on a weekly or even monthly basis, but as time uh, comes and goes and as situations and circumstances and issues come up around us, whether it be in our culture or uh, society or church itself, that we think are important to speak to and 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 anchor biblically in and how to think and how to approach and engage on those issues. That's what the Thinking Biblically podcast is geared towards, but this is the Digging Deeper podcast, and this is one that will be consistent. It will go, it will coincide and go along with um, all of our teaching series. And so, uh, this is the second episode of Digging Deeper. We did one preview of the current series that we're in called Imago Day. Uh, we've preached three of those sermons, and so we wanted to come back into this series with a second podcast on Digging Deeper to. To uh, now that the foundation has been laid uh, for this series, to kind of just take a, a moment, a pause, a breath, and enter into some of the things that uh, in every sermon, all three of us would say, and Randy would say this as well, there's always so much more that we could say that time doesn't allow on a Sunday morning. And so the heart and, and aim behind this podcast, part of it is to say, well, what would we have said had we had more time? Um, and, and then not only that, but to look forward as we have five more weeks in this sermon series coming up to be able to look forward and say, okay, what is it that we can uh, expect in the next five weeks in this total eight week series? So, uh, I'll start us off gentlemen, and then I'd love for you to chime in, um, with your thoughts along the way. And I'll prompt you along the way as well. But, um, since I preached the first three of this series, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and share a couple of things that I would have certainly uh, entered into and expounded upon in a sermon had the, the time been allowed. And, and and the first thing I would say is this, um, and this is particularly with my sermon, the last sermon, the third one of this series, where we're talking about uh, the image of God being redeemed and restored within man and woman as a result of the work of Christ. And um, a connection, a dot to be connected in Scripture um, that I think is significant is to say that when when we read Genesis one twenty eight, and uh, this is the part of Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight where God starts talking uh, very explicitly. He does it in verse twenty six as well, but very explicitly about the responsibility of mankind as image bearers of God that we are created in the image of God, male and female, but then he gives us responsibility. And the responsibility is, as we've said all three times in the series so far on Sunday mornings, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. Fish the sea, birds the air, every living creature that moves on the earth. And uh, in the sermon, in the third sermon, I, I drew out in, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the four right relationships that God created us to experience. First and foremost... As you'll recall, if you listen to the sermon, the the most important relationship, for sure, is the relationship with God, that we were created to be in right relationship with God himself, this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
and to be in relationship with him, fellowship with him, communion with him. Um, and so that was how he created us to be. The second thing is that he created us to be in right relationship with each other, uh, certainly as male and female, but even in community as, as, as uh, Adam and Eve and humanity did what Genesis one twenty eight said, fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We are to be in right relationship with one another. Thirdly, in right relationship with ourselves and how we understand who we are, who we're made for, why we were created, what is our purpose, what is our existence, what is our identity, where is it all wrapped up and anchored in. And then lastly, and this is straight from verse 28, right relationship with creation. And one of the things I said in the in the uh, in the sermon is that all of that was marred and and lost in the in the fall, and that we continue to image God. And this was the second sermon. We continue to image God structurally, but functionally, uh, we lost the ability to image God. So here's the point that I didn't make in the sermon that I want to lead us into to, for for this discussion. Connecting Genesis one twenty eight to Matthew twenty eight verse 19 and 20, which we've commonly called the Great Commission. That's what we've referred to it for years and years. Is This is when Jesus, last recorded words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, where he says, um, to go and to make disciples of all nations and um, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth, where he says, uh, says this is what your mission is, is, to go and make disciples. Now, rightfully and certainly appropriately, and I don't want anyone listening to this to, the, to this to mishear me, absolutely that means we share the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus, um, we, we uh, engage in evangelism, and we, we seek to save souls because, remember what the first relationship is that is so important, is the right relationship with God. But I also want to make sure it's clear that we're connecting the dot between Genesis 1.28 and Matthew 28 to see what Jesus is saying there, that making disciples is first, yes, proclaiming the gospel, but to get in right, to, to restore right relationship with God. But these other three are being restored as well. Right relationship with one another, with each other. Right relationship with ourselves in terms of our identity, our existence, our being, our purpose and right relationship with creation. And there's great implications of that. To make disciples of all nations means, yes, sharing the gospel, but is it the two-pillar gospel or is it the five-pillar gospel? Is it helping people understand what God's intent has been ever since Genesis 1? Or is it helping people understand what's going on with God's intent beginning in Genesis 3? Is it the gospel that we're just sinners and need a savior, which is true and right? Or is it the gospel that says you're created in the image of God? We wrecked it all through our sin. There's a savior who redeem us, redeems us. And what is he redeeming us towards? What is he leading us into as a part of being a part of his kingdom? Um, so that was, time didn't allow for me to, to get really fully into the, the intricacies of that. But uh, Bob, as we were even sharing before we started recording here, you had some great thoughts on those four relationships. I'd love for you to expound on that. Yeah, let, thank you. Uh, and great, great uh, sermons, Jeff, on starting the series. Just tremendous, tremendous. Uh, you know, I grew up in a church and in a tradition 
that was wonderful and that it was very much about the salvation of individuals and sharing the gospel and world missions. And I'm very, very thankful for that. But one of the things that drew me into the PCA and into our theological tradition was how much deeper uh, our view of Christianity is, really, and, and therefore view the Scriptures. And I was drawn to this because I thought, wow, this church, just this denomination, just doesn't want to get people saved. They want to get them sanctified, <laughs> you know, and a, a deep sanctification. And that deep sanctification, I realized, was very holistic about life. And that really drew me. And so my understanding of the Scriptures and what it means to be a follower of Jesus got a lot deeper. And it connects to all these things you've talked about here, Jeff, that that is in being saved and being a redeemed image bearer who's being continually formed more into the image of Christ means all of these things. And and that means, for example, on the level of psychology, I'm being reconciled to a better relationship with myself. And that's a psychological issue. There are connections with other people. Uh, the scriptures always tell us the foundation of all these things. But it, I realized in, in getting a deeper understanding of the scriptures that there are people out there who are image bearers, and they may not be saved, but they have learned about God's creation and about human beings, and they've made contributions because they are image bearers. And therefore, in terms of being who we should be in and of ourselves, we've learned from Christian psychologists and non-Christian psychologists, and always the scriptures are the foundation. And the way I like to envision it is that the scriptures are like a sieve, and whatever somebody is saying about a certain discipline of understanding and learning, we pour it through the sieve of the scriptures, and if it's, line, if it's in line with the scriptures, it's held, and it's part of what we believe. If it's not, we let it pass through, and we don't believe it. And in every one of these realms, uh, we learn from even non-redeemed image bearers who might see things that are true. We call that general revelation, and general revelation comes by way of common grace, not just saving grace. And so, for example, what does it mean to be right with myself? The scriptures show me the foundational parts of what it means to be right with myself. But people who have studied human beings and how they function, and if they, if they looked at that discipline of psychology from a scriptural viewpoint, they can help us go even deeper in understanding what it's like to be an emotionally healthy person or a psychologically healthy person. You follow? And so the same is true for these other things. How do we relate well to other people? Well, the scriptures tell us the most important foundational things, but we also learn from historians. <laughs> we learn from sociologists. We learn from people that talk about those dynamics. Now, again, we pour everything through the civil scriptures. And so you can find historians that don't tell the truth and those who do tell the truth. Christian historians tell the truth <laughs> all the time yeah, if the facts are there. You can find sociology books that are terrible. You can find Christian sociology books that are, that are helpful and informative. And so, you know, we, we learn from all these disciplines to be reconciled to other people. It's basically driven by what do the scriptures say about how to be reconciled, and that drives us. But then a huge one is that deal of creation. How do we get rightly related to creation? And that's not simply a, how do we care for creation. That's huge, and you made that point great in the sermon. How, how that got taken over by other people. You know, I don't know, but it shouldn't belong to 
atheist and pantheist. We, as people who believe in a creator, should be leading with the idea of taking care of what God has made. But really, that's our segue into understanding all the physical sciences— to understand what God has made, but and then that's all those the, also the segue into business. You know what every business is about is using the things of Earth and human ability and human knowledge to provide a service or a product that helps other people. And therefore, if you're in business in some way, you're operating in this realm of of being rightly related to creation and using created things and using human abilities to be of service to other people, and it, and it connects with all, that. And with all of that. And, and, and frankly, that also means there can be Christian ways of doing business and non-Christian ways of doing business when we put together what the Scriptures say. So it's just, uh, you know, again, this could be a whole seminary course to talk about all these things, but, but uh, hugely important and uh, pervasive for all of life, and it makes me thankful we're talking about this series. Yeah, amen. And and just so, again, maybe Aaron, so much on this side of things, but I just want to make sure those of you who are listening are hearing us clearly. You know, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost, right? And so we we are not undermining that mission of Jesus in any way. And what we're saying, all we're saying is this, uh, when you when, when we go about our disciple-making efforts, we are first proclaiming Christ, first and foremost proclaiming Christ in our word and in our deed, in our deeds, uh, that he is the savior of the world. He is the one whom, in whom the lost are found. Those who are dead are made alive. Um, what we're really pressing in on is not the gospel of justification. The gospel of justification is that you're saved by, uh, by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone, um, through the authority of the scriptures alone to the glory of God alone, right? The five solas. And, but we're, we're pressing in more on saying once you have been justified, once you've been made right in Christ, if you're being made into the image of Christ more and more, what are the things you care about? What are the things that begin to take shape in your own heart, but then through you into everything that you live out as it pertains to these things? Yeah, in fact, uh, what we're saying here is that as a follower of Jesus, every square inch of your life belongs to Jesus. That's right. Yeah. And the tradition I grew up in was like, get saved, and then, then don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. Right. I mean, it was, that was a very narrow view of holiness. And I, I began to see, no, holiness and sanctification and being an image bearer touches every square inch of my life, right. everyone. Right. Can I, this is just a thought as I'm listening to all this, you know, in some ways it changes the way you view it. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. So what does it mean to be lost, right? Like if you were fundamentally at a structural level, you were designed to image your creator. Well, uh, what one of the things that you see in the Bible is that just because you have now that relationship, all those relationships you mentioned with God, with each other, with creation, with yourself, just because all those have been broken doesn't mean you're not still imaging something. And if you worship idols, the Bible says, you become like those idols, which means you're living out of your created purpose, which has a ripple effect through every single one of those relationships we talked about. Like if you are worshiping money, well, that's going to distort your right relationship with God, your relationship with each other, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with creation. Uh, nothing is left untouched. Uh, and I just, sorry, I was just, no, as I was good. listening to that, I'm sitting there thinking, man, that is a, a huge thing to think about. You're going to image something no matter what. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Caleb, since you have the mic right now, let me, <laughs> let me uh, in some ways transition us, but obviously still on the same topic. Sure. But this topic of image 
image of God in, in every human, mm-hmm. right? Uh, history has shown us, as Bob's bringing up history, uh, we see in human history time and time again from the very beginning that we will, and I, when I say the very beginning, you see it immediately uh, with Cain and Abel, yeah. right? Uh, but we will, throughout time, we will, we will justify in many ways um, looking at other human beings and minimizing the image of God in them, not valuing them, not seeing uh, their worth and dignity. Um, and so you have a quote that I'll go ahead and preface in saying, uh, it's a weird quote, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, Caleb likes weird, weird quotes, but no, it's a, it's actually a really good quote. So stay with us as he reads it, because yeah. it's going to lead us somewhere that I think is really helpful. So as I, as I read this, y'all should know that the reason I even remember this quote is because of how strange it is. Um, this is, this is buried in, in the depths of Augustine city of God. And there's a section where he starts talking about what does it mean to be descended from Adam, to be one who bears the image of God. And here's what he says, and 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 just bear with me for a moment because I swear it's money at the end. Uh, it is also asked whether we are to believe that a certain monstrous that certain monstrous races of men spoken of in secular history have sprung from Noah's sons, or rather, I should say, from that one man from whom they themselves were descended, that is Adam. For it is reported that some have one eye in the middle of the forehead. Told you. Some feet turned backwards from the heel. Some a double sex. The right breast like a man, the left like a woman. And that they alternately beget and bring forth. Others are said to have no mouth and to breathe only through the nostrils. Others are but a cubit or a few feet high. They say that in some places the women conceive in their fifth year and do not live beyond their eighth. So too, they tell of a race that have two feet but only one leg and are of marvelous swiftness though they do not bend the knee. They are called skyopodes because in the hot weather they lie down on their backs and shade themselves with their feet. And here's where it gets to be money. Here's where it goes from weird to really helpful. But whoever is anywhere born a man, that is a rational mortal animal, no matter what unusual appearance he presents in color, movement, or sound, nor how peculiar he is in some power, part, or quality of his nature, no Christian can doubt that he springs from that one protoplast, Adam. We can distinguish the common human nature from that which is peculiar and therefore wonderful. And he goes on from there to basically say that sometimes when we're looking at people, uh, we start trying to pick out what parts are things that we should value and which ones aren't. What, what's deformity and what is actually the image of God in them? And, and some of those things sometimes are clear. For instance, you know, if you see uh, unrighteousness, like that is not the image of God. But in other areas, it's not clear. Scripture doesn't speak to it. And he cautions that we should be extremely careful that just because our culture views something as a deformity or as, as, as something that in a person makes them deficient, we should be careful that we don't call deformity what God calls beauty. Because God is the creator and he's the one who designed that person, which means that sometimes things that we as a culture and a society don't value, God does. And we should give those the dignity and worth that they inherently deserve. Uh, and the second thing is this. Uh, I think this is important because sometimes as we talk about these things, you might be wondering, is this some modern theological innovation? This is some new thing, some newfangled thing that people are doing now, uh, but but not really something that was a part of the ancient Christian faith. And I want to emphasize this. What you just heard me read is from the, the, the latter part of the fourth century. 
Uh, you want to talk way back in the annals of Christian history, this is it. Uh, this has always been an essential feature of faithful Orthodox Christian teaching. And if we find ourselves thinking, well, that seems odd to me, what I want us to realize is that means you are actually the deviation. It, it is us in our present moment who have lost hold of the larger stream of Christian thought. It's not something new that's now pulling us away from that larger stream of Christian thought. And I think that's really important to hold on to. Yeah, and, and just, again, for clarity to yeah. say uh, what you mean when you say this, you mean the, the doctrine of the image of God. Right. Yes, and the implications yes. that come from it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I think it's also worth mentioning as well that um, you know you said there are some things that the that uh, the world and society and culture around us may say, uh, well, that's deformity. That's you know that's not the that's not good or whatever. And God sees it as beautiful. I think the opposite we can say is true as well. Mm-hmm. Right. The culture Absolutely. culture is going to look at some things and say, hey, that's beautiful and good, and God is going to say, no, 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 that's not. That's not how that's things deformity. are supposed. That's deformity. Yeah. That's yeah. not how it's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, that's really, really great thoughts there from Augustine uh, and, and you, Caleb, as well. Bob, you, you're, uh, you're raising your hand over there like you're in class. I think you got you either have a question or a comment. Which one is it? Teacher, I have a comment. That's right. You know, you're talking about how the world can see something that's beautiful and we would say it's not. That goes back to image bearing too. And that uh, the Ten Commandments tell us what a redeemed image bearer looks like. Okay, and so this image of God theology connects again with holiness and sanctification and with all of the Ten Commandments. And there again, we've got people in the world today, and of course history's always had people that said, what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. They totally mix up the law of God about things. And so for us, we would say, yeah, being a redeemed image bearer means being in conformity with God's commands. And uh, when we're fulfilling his commands by faith in Jesus as a person who's being sanctified by grace, we're becoming more and more what a human being ought to be. And uh, in fact, this can be one of the greatest defenses of, of the Christian faith to people that are not followers of Jesus, is to say this aspect of the law of God for you and of the gospel is actually what people were made to be. So when you live out uh, what the Bible says about sexuality and marriage or about parenting or about uh, that we don't build our lives around physical possessions and material possessions, but we use them responsibly to bless others uh, as well as supply for our own needs, all these kind of things relate to uh, what it means to be an image bearer, you know, the right the right pattern of work and rest, all those kind of things fit into the, the picture. Which is causing me to think even as you think about the law in and of itself, um, I think there are many Christians that um, misunderstand, well, I'll say it this way, uh, that the law only condemns us, that once we've been justified and made right in Christ, um, the law doesn't apply anymore, right? And, and a lot of Christians assume that. Well, what the New Testament scriptures teach us is that Christ, yes, he's the fulfillment of the law that condemns us and shows us our sin. But once we've been saved, once we've been made new, the law actually becomes not our, our oppressor or, or the one that is, that is condemning us, but it actually becomes something that's, that growingly, increasingly becomes more and more beautiful. We see that the law is the heart of God uh, in its beauty and its perfection, right? In, in the way it was originally created for humanity to possess and to behold and to live out yeah. as a blessing upon all humanity and creation. And so, um, 
so there's a redemptive work being done even in the law, right? That that through Christ, the law is being put back in its rightful yeah. place. Well, so, and I think one of the pieces is just thinking about if, if we're talking about being united to Christ, right? Like we're being remade in the image of Adam. He's removed the condemnation from it, which was what happens is being those in the first Adam who, who sinned against the law was thus condemned. But if we're in Adam, he also brings us into the relationship he himself had with the law, which was a law that was never burdensome, but joyous. I mean, you think about the way he talks about how the will of his father is his food, it's his drink. Like the law becomes not just something that we can obey, but it still don't like the, the law ceases to be burdensome That's right. because we realize it's given to us by a father. Right. From, even, from even burden the, to beauty. Yeah. Even this pattern of uh, six days of work and one day of rest is a freeing thing. It's, it's an image of God reflecting kind of thing. That's what he did. You know, he created and he rested. And now because of Jesus, we rest and then we create. And, uh, but that's a beautiful thing. And in fact, uh, I was looking recently at the Westminster Larger Catechism about the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And did you know when you overwork, you're breaking the Sixth Commandment? (laughs) (laughs) You're killing yourself by overworking. Uh, And so the law of God frees us to obey that Sixth Commandment and say, I'm going to put the right amount of rest into my life. And, And I'm reflecting who he is, and that becomes freeing to me. It becomes fulfilling to me. Right. That's good. Bob, you mentioned something a moment ago that I want to I want to press in on. Uh, you mentioned that the image of God, the doctrine of the image of God, biblically, can be a great apologetic for Christianity. Um, expound on that for us as you think about how what what this doctrine brings to the table that other uh, belief systems and religions and and just the way people, the worldviews that people carry. Um, end up lacking on this front that Christianity uh, is unique. Uh, Absolutely. I'm becoming increasingly convinced that our gateway into showing the truthfulness of Christianity will more and more start with this. What is a human being? We start with the experience that we know. We are human beings. And intuitively, we have these indications of some things that are true and we know it. We, we know there's such a thing as right and wrong and justice. We know there's such a thing as love. We know there's such a thing as spirituality. It's interesting to me that atheistic modernism is actually waning instead of increasing. People are wanting to embrace some form of spirituality. They just don't have a basis for it. They don't know what to build it on, but they want it. Uh, or they're affirming beauty. And those things people know intuitively are true, but philosophically, they don't have a basis for it. And so there is for us a reason that every person matters. And it's really important to be able to say, you know that every person matters. I know that every person matters. Why is that true? And that we point to the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, consummation, to say, here's the story of humanity of why every person matters. And when it comes to it, at the end of the day, Eastern religions don't have that basis. If you're just a drop in the ocean and you lose personhood upon death and get reincarnated and you're not forever who you are, uh, then personhood really doesn't matter. And of course, atheistic, materialistic worldviews don't have an answer either. And so uh, Nazism grew out of nihilism. Existentialism was the pretend worldview that says you can create a meaning. There's not a real meaning, so just make one up. And out of that comes moral relativism. Out of that comes social constructionism. 
out of that comes classic liberalism. And all those things would be, oh, yeah, we're, we're for people. But there's not a view of personhood that gives you a reason to be for people. And so we have a reason. We, we have a worldview of what a human being is that will give you a good reason why every person matters. And there's a, a, a buddy of mine who's a minister that said he often has had an open door to share the gospel when he meets people that are all about, you know, uh, doing mercy and compassion and justice, <clears throat> especially for those who might use the term, you know, social justice. And he says, well, if Darwinism is true and it's the survival of the fittest, there's no basis for social justice. And there are people, whoa, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? And he just, in a sense, says, if you want to care about those in need, if you want to stand up for what is right uh, about compassion, love, justice, there's a view of humanity that we have that explains that desire in your heart. And the worldview you say you believe doesn't give a reason for that, but Christianity does. Mm. That's a good. Uh, that's a good segue into kind of how we'll wrap up our time today as we think about where we're headed in this series, and uh, you think about the uniqueness of Christianity in helping lay out biblically the dignity of of all humans. That's where Caleb's headed this coming Sunday, uh, as we think about the image of God and image bearing and human dignity. Um, and then after that, we'll start getting in more to some of the things that are, I don't want to say practical, because everything we've been saying and in, in, in teaching so far in this series hopefully has been practical um, at some level, the heart level, whatever it may be, but maybe into a little bit more uh, practical, in a sense, matters of, of our society is uh, week after next Bible uh, lead us in understanding what is what is a Bible, how does a Bible lead us to engage with image bearing in the unborn um, and the dignity of the unborn? Uh, then uh, after that, we'll dig into the last three weeks of the series. Um, I'll lead us through image bearing in our neighbor. So this gets back to the law, right? The, the two that you sum up the law and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as God is redeeming us uh, to be in right relationship with him, what does it mean? What does it look like to, to be in right relationship with each other? Uh, and then uh, image bearing in our work. So we'll talk about the workplace. What does it look like to, uh, to be an image bearer of Christ in our workplace? And then Caleb will wrap us up August 30th weekend with image bearing and creation as we think about that fourth relationship, that fourth right relationship uh, with creation as we see it biblically. So um, that's where we're headed. Uh, we'll do one more installment of this, um, of this, uh, podcast, Digging Deeper. We'll do that after, after the series is over, the week after, uh, that one on creation, on image bearing and creation. And we'll, we'll try to tie up any loose ends in that, in that, uh, podcast. We'll try to come behind what has been taught and press in on, press in on some things that we didn't have time to on a Sunday morning. Uh, as well as perhaps even answer some of your questions. So uh, that one might be a little more lengthy because we'll be coming behind five sermons as opposed to three sermons. And, uh, and as well, uh, we'll try to make it a, um, an opportunity for you between now and then to be able to submit some questions that we can address. So uh, anyway, Caleb, Bob, thanks for joining us, joining me and us and our listeners again today. And uh, we're, 
uh, we're looking forward to what's coming in the five weeks ahead of us. So uh, we'll see you then. And until then, God bless. And may you image Christ everywhere you are this week for his glory.